Authority is not given for you to be escalated, for you to be put up high. Authority, when someone gives you authority, that authority is given to you and I so we can serve. And Joseph didn't know that at 17. But he learned it in the next 13 years. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Genesis. We're going to go way back in time, and we're going to go back to Genesis. And uh, I think there's a term, back to Genesis, but we're not going that far back. We're going to go back to around chapter 37 of Genesis. And we've been sharing for the last several weeks, and uh, uh, we've been talking about this uh, Bible application, life application that God... Uh, when he gave his promises, when he gave his commands, when he gave his word, he gave them for you and I to apply to our lives. And he gave us some guidelines, some principles to live by. And if we live by those principles, uh, they work. They just work. And I've discovered something. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, whether you experienced Christ or haven't experienced Christ, when you apply the principles of God's word to your life, even as an unbeliever, you will be blessed. They work. They work. Now, you know, you, you do have to understand, you, 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 in order to have eternal life, you have to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He's the only way you can have eternal life, you can go to heaven, is through the person of Jesus Christ. But the principles that God lays out in his word for us to live by, they work whether you believe or you're an unbeliever. I, I, I love that about God's word, that it applies to all of us. And so we've been talking about life application, about talking about Bible life application, and for the last uh, eight or nine weeks, and, uh, and we started out examining the life of the Israelites in their relationship with God and discovered that God brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of the land of bondage. He delivered them, even as he has done you and I. Did not God deliver you that have accepted Christ? Didn't God not deliver you from the bondage and the power of sin? Yeah. You didn't do anything. God delivered you. God delivered you from the power and the bondage of sin. And he delivered the Israelites and brought them to the Mount Sinai. And it was at Mount Sinai where God gave them some guidelines and some laws to live by. And, of course, the purpose of the law, the purpose of those guidelines was to protect the Israelites. They had no nothing but uh, bondage. They had no nothing but slavery. They had no nothing but all of that. And God says, I'm going to give you some guidelines to live by because I want you to prosper. I want you to be successful. I want you to, to have a relationship with me. I want you to have a good life. And so he gives these guidelines, and the purpose of the guidelines was not to bring them into a relationship, but to confirm the relationship that had already been established. And then we talked about James, where James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Apply it to your life. Application makes all the difference in the world. Well, this morning, I'd like to finish up this series and talk about one last application, even though we've not covered every application. I'd like to uh, cover one more application that I believe is essential for you and I living a life of joy, of peace, and of blessing. 
And so I want to start off by sharing a story taken from Genesis, the 37th chapter, and it's a story about Joseph. And I believe, I really believe that all of us may identify with Joseph in some segment of his personal life. You see, I've discovered that most people fall, and, and, and I told the praise team this morning before we were going into worship and before church, I said, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from in life, everyone here today, I believe, has been hurt. You have experienced anger and pain. And unfortunately, there's times that your best friend or even a Christian has hurt you. Amen? Everyone that I know of has been hurt and has experienced pain and anger in some form or fashion. And most people fall into one or two categories. Those who have been genuinely mistreated, those who have genuinely been mistreated, and those who perceive or think they have been mistreated. And whatever the category may be, for, for one who perceives injustice in their life, I am sure that we have all experienced pain. So in Genesis, the 37th chapter, there's a story of a man, it actually starts off as a boy named Joseph. And Joseph, if you read the story, we're not going to read all of that because it's too long to read. But starting in Genesis 37 verses 1 through 11, we discover that Joseph is 17 years old. He is the son of Jacob, and he's one of 12 sons, one of 12 sons. And of course, Jake, or Joseph was the son, and my mind just went blank, not just the son of Jacob, but the, who was his mother? Huh? Rachel, thank you, Rachel, not Leah. Rachel was his mother. And Rachel had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And Jacob loved Rachel and favored Rachel. And of course, since Rachel birthed or brought Joseph into the world, Jacob unfortunately showed a little favoritism to Joseph. And he became the envy of his brothers. And so we find that Joseph, at the age of 17, he has two dreams. And in these two dreams, the first one he sees, the first dream that he, he dreams, he has a dream where all of his brother's sheaves are in a field, and they have their brothers have their sheaves, wheat, you know, sheaves are they're bundled up, and they have their sheaves. And all of his brother's sheaves bow down to Joseph. All 11 of them bow down to Joseph. And Joseph not having wisdom and Joseph not being very wise at the time began to share his dream to his brothers. And his brothers thought, really? Really? You think you're better than us? You think that we're going to bow down before you? You think that you're so favored by your dad and you're so good that you think that we're going to fall down and 
worship you? And then he had another dream, and the next dream that he had was a, a dream that he had that uh, the, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed before him. And, of course, the sun representing his dad and the, the moon representing uh, his mother. and uh, Well, not his mother. His mother had died. I guess maybe his sisters. And then, and then the 11 stars representing his brothers, and they all bowed down to him. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, Joseph's brothers were fit to be tied. You think that you're going to rule over us? You think because you're Jacob's favorite that you're gonna that we're gonna bow down to you and we're gonna worship and serve you? And so in verse 12 through 35, we find that Joseph's dreams begin to turn into nightmares. And his brothers had become so envious and so angry and so hate, had so much hate for Joseph that Joseph came out to check on his brothers. So you see, Jacob, uh, Joseph was at home and his 10 brothers were out working in the fields and taking care of the flocks and everything. And, and Jacob said, Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. Now, I'm sure this is not the first time it happened, and Joseph had checked on his brothers many times, and I'm sure that at times Joseph brought back an evil report. Oh, Dad, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. You know, they're not, they're not taking care of the sheep like they, they're not where they're supposed to be and, and all of this kind of stuff. I'm sure that probably that happened. And so this time when Joseph goes out to check on his brothers, the brothers are so full of envy and hatred and anger that they conjure up a plan that they're going to take Joseph and they're going to capture him and throw him into a cistern. A cistern is simply a big pit, and it was a dry cistern, had no water in it, and so they captured him, and they threw him into the pit, and on, the, on Joseph was a coat of many colors that his dad had made for him. And so they conjured up this plan that said, we'll take the coat, and we'll kill one of the animals, and we'll put blood on the coat and send it back to his dad, uh, send it back to dad, and, and tell him that a wild animal has devoured Joseph, and that's what they did. And they sought to kill Joseph, but one of the brothers wanted to intervene. And so they decided instead of killing Joseph, they sold him as a slave to Ishmaelites that were coming by. Joseph takes or goes with the Ishmaelites. He's sold into slavery, and he goes into Egypt, and there he is bought by Potiphar. In Egypt. And for the next 10 years, he serves Potiphar in his household as a slave. Now, if you could just imagine for just a moment, I'm sure that while Joseph is in the land of Egypt, away from his family, and all of his dreams that he had begin to be dashed. Now, I don't know how you would feel, but I have a feeling that I would have felt a lot of anger, and I would have been real mad at my brothers. I would have. Have you ever been mad with your brother or your sister? Yeah, I got two brothers. I got a sister. Never really got mad at my sister, but boy, I had a brother one time. I got mad. I just got mad. In fact, we got in the front yard, and we just had a knockdown drag out. And the amazing thing about that is my mom and dad just kind of sit on the porch and watched us. 
And then when we got finished with our knockdown drag out, they had a knockdown drag out. It wasn't between mom and dad. It was the belt and us, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And uh, I, I'll never will forget that, you know. And, and, but can you imagine how Joseph probably felt? I'm sure in his wine, in his mind, he wondered how could things get any worse. I mean, my dreams, my, my goals, my expectations, everything has been dashed, has been crushed. And, and I'm sure he's thinking in his mind, it can't get any worse than this. And it did. And Potiphar's wife, who was apparently a very beautiful woman, and Joseph, who was a very handsome man, you see, at this time, Joseph is probably around the age of maybe 27. He's not 17 anymore. He's probably around the age of 27. And Potiphar's wife looks upon Joseph and says, hey, I want you. I want you. I want you, I want you to get the picture. I want, and she began to pursue him. And Joseph, being the man he was, a man of integrity, would flee. He would run. He would say, no, 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 no. I am, I have, everything is under my command. Everything is under my control in, in, in your husband's household. He's given me everything except you. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. This would be again a sin against him. It would be a sin against God. I can't do this to God. And he, she kept pursuing, kept pursuing him. And he kept, you know, saying no, saying no, saying no. And then one day, Joseph was about doing his work in the house, and everybody had left but Potiphar's wife. What a golden opportunity. And she grabbed him. She says, I want you. My husband's not here. I want you. And he fled. Run, baby, run. Flee fornication. He fled. He ran out. And when he ran out, she took the coat. She took his garment. And she was so humiliated and so angry and so upset that when her husband got home, he told Potiphar, her husband, that Joseph tried to rape me, falsely accused him. And, of course, Potiphar responded as any loving husband would and had Joseph thrown into prison. It just got worse. Not only was he a slave, but now he is a prisoner. Now, I want you to kind of pause for just a moment and think. Can you imagine the thoughts of Joseph during this time? I mean, can you imagine the anger and maybe the envy and the hatred that could have built up toward his brothers. My brothers caused this to happen. It's my brother's fault. It's their fault. I, I could just sense the hatred and the, the envy and the, the anger that could have built up in him. Can you imagine the thoughts concerning God in his mind? Now think about that just a moment. When things don't go our way, we look for someone to blame. We do. I mean, that's just our natural tendency. That's our natural reaction. We, we, we don't really examine our own lives. We just look at, for, there's someone. I've been following the Lord. I've been living a good life. I didn't commit adultery with her. I, didn't, I fled fornication. And then why in the world is God allowing this to happen to me? Those questions are being asked today. 
I'm hearing these questions over and over. Why is God? Why is, I, I'm a Christian. I, I'm faithful to go to church. I'm faithful to worship the Lord. I, I'm faithful to give. I'm faithful to serve. Why in the world would God allow me to get sick? Listen, you ought to be on my end of the, the phone line this week. And you're hearing the anxiety and the, the questions that people are asking. Why is God? Why is God? Why would God allow this to happen? I mean, these people are faithful to the Lord, and yet he allows them to get sick. Why? What, God, what is going on? And all of a sudden, they start blaming others and even blame God. I was talking to my wife this week, and she came home and you know, that something transpired, you know, and, and, and I mean, she was just spilling off at me. She was just spilling off at me. And I said, well, Kim, I didn't have anything to do with it. Well, I'm just Vinny. You got to let me vent. I said, well, that's fine. That's fine. You can vent to me. All, and she can. She can vent to me all we want. But realize, realize you're letting this situation suck the peace out of you. And if you're not careful, you'll start blaming God and asking those questions. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing? Yeah, and, and Joseph, I'm sure those thoughts went through his mind. God, why, 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 why are you allowing this to happen? You see, it was in all of this that Joseph could have become bitter. But instead of becoming bitter, he chose to respond. Now, notice I said he chose. He chose not to respond to all of this that happened in a negative way and become bitter. And you would think that things would get better, but instead of getting better, they become worse. And so he's in prison. And as he's in prison, the favor of God is upon Joseph well, if the favor of God is in jo upon Joseph, why is he in prison? And so the, 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 uh, the prison keeper, the person who was in charge, the warden, saw the favor of God upon Joseph, and he put him in charge of everyone in the prison. And then during that time, there was a pharaoh, not pharaoh, yeah, pharaoh, had a cupbearer and a baker. And he got angry at both of them and threw them both into prison. And during that, their stay in prison, they both have a dream. The cupbearer has a dream and the baker has a dream. We won't go into details, but they both have dreams. And they get up the next morning and they're troubled. They're troubled. They're troubled in their mind. They're perplexed. And, and, and Joseph, who is having a relationship with them, begins to see, why are you so troubled? What is bothering you? What are you so disturbed about? And so they said, well, we, we both had a dream, and we don't know what it means. And Joseph said, well, tell me what the dream is. And so they told the Joseph what the dream was. The cupbearer had a dream. The baker had a dream. And he says, I'll tell you what's, what the dream means. It is, a, it, it is from God. It's a dream from God. And I'm going to tell you what the interpretation of the dream is. And he tells the cupbearer, he says, I want you to know that for you, it's going to be a good, you, you're, you're going to be restored. You're going to be restored to the side of Pharaoh as the cupbearer. So I imagine the baker thinking, well, it's good for, it's good for the cupbearer. It's got to be good for me. And he looks at him and he said, but for you, you're going to lose your head. And sure enough, Joseph looks at the cupbearer and he says, now listen, remember me. When you get out of here, 
remember me. And sure enough, it happened just a few days later. The cupbearer got out and the baker was beheaded. And Joseph is forgotten. He's forgotten. He's left in the dungeon, in the prison, and he's forgotten. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Have you ever felt isolated and abandoned? Have you ever felt like that your family or someone that you were close to just hurt you? And you have to be careful that you don't become bitter. Listen, I want you to understand something. God is sovereign, and this is what I really want you to get. God is sovereign. And so Joseph is forgotten about. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. And none of his magicians, none of the, the, the people and the, the, the sorcerers and uh, magicians, and none of, none of his people could interpret the dream. And the cupbearer remembered Joseph. He said, there's a man in prison by the name of Joseph. He can interpret your dream. God is with him. And God shows him, and he can interpret your dream. So they get Joseph, and they shave him and make him presentable, take him to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him his dream. And Joseph said, this is the meaning of the dream. You're going to have seven years of plentiful, seven years of abundance. And then after seven years of abundance, you're going to have seven years of famine. And all the famine is going to eat up all the abundance that have been stored up. He said, now my advice to you is get your house in order. Put someone in charge. Put someone in command. And for the next seven years of abundance, you need to put and you need to store up so that you will not be destroyed through the famine. And Pharaoh looks at Joseph and he said, there's no one wiser than you. So I'm putting you in charge. I'm putting you in charge. The only person that you will have to answer to is me. Everyone else is under you. You are in charge of the whole nation. You're the prime minister. And all of a sudden, Joseph's nightmare became his dream. Now, perhaps when Joseph had his dreams... He saw them as a confirmation of the favor of God on his life. But as a young person, he had not yet learned that authority is given to serve. Do you hear me? That authority is given to serve, not to set you apart. Authority is not given for you to be escalated, for you to be put up high. Authority, when someone gives you authority, that authority is given to you and I so we can serve. And Joseph didn't know that at 17. But he learned it in the next 13 years. Because it was at the age of 30 when he was set forth as a prime minister, so to speak, of Egypt. Often during, and I want you to hear me, often during the conflicts of life, when God is trying to teach us, we focus on the impossibility of our circumstances instead of the greatness of our God. And as a result, we often get discouraged, and because we're discouraged, we need to blame someone. 
We need to blame someone. So we, t- so we look for the one who is, that we feel is responsible for our despair. And sometimes we not only blame others, but we blame God himself because he could have prevented it. He could have. He's the one that could have prevented the whole mess. He's the one that could have stopped it. He's the one that didn't have to let it come. And so we often not only look for someone, but we often blame God. And we often ponder the thoughts that we did not do anything wrong. So it's got to be someone else's fault. And we often blame people or circumstances or even God. But know this, and this is important. We must always remember that God has a plan for your life, for our lives. God's plan for you is what? To give you a hope, to give you a future. God's plan for you is to make you a success. That's what he told Israel through Jeremiah. My plans for Israel. Well, I'm going to tell you what. You and I have been engrafted into the vine of Israel. And the same plan that God had for Israel, he has for you. He has a plan for you to make your life a success, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. That's God's plan. You've got to believe that. And that absolutely no one, and I want you to hear that, absolutely no one can ever force you out of the will of God. No one can force you out of the will of God. No one but God and you holds your destiny. I'm thankful today that only God holds my destiny, me and God. Only you and God holds your destiny. No, hallelujah. you got to know this. God is sovereign. God is control. God is God. He's Lord of everything. And I'm telling you, when you feel like you've been deprived of a promotion, when you feel like your boss is against you, you need to understand God is still in control, and God can never, not that your boss, your boss cannot force you out of God's will. He can't. God's in charge. God's in control. Joseph's brother had tried hard. They had tried hard to destroy the vision that God had given to Joseph. In fact, notice what 37, uh, chapter 37, verse 20 says, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They did what they did deliberately. And Joseph had a right to be angry and hurt by the actions of his brothers. But Joseph chose not to be offended. Yes, there are times when your heart, you have a right to be angry. In fact, the New Testament tells us, be angry and sin not. It's a natural human response to get angry when someone hurts you and does you wrong. But Joseph, though he had the right to be angry, and I'm sure he felt anger, He chose not to become offended. Had Joseph chose to get even with his brothers, God would have left him in prison to die. Why? Why? 
Because it was through Joseph's brothers, hear me, it was through Joseph's brothers that God would set up the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and it was through the lineage of Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, that Jesus would be born. And God already had a plan in order. And God was going to use Joseph to save the nation of Israel. Joseph chose not to get even. And the plan of God was established not only through in the Israelites, but the plan of God was established in Joseph's life as well. And each time that Joseph was let down, it was a time of sifting. It was an also an opportunity for Joseph to become angry and hurt. Every time you're sifted, it's an opportunity that Satan uses it. You see, God uses things in your life to sift you, to work you, to grow you, to produce in you what he wants to produce in you, you to become a man or a woman of integrity, a man or woman of character, a man or woman that, that has wisdom and understanding. God is producing that in you. And sometimes he allows things to happen in life to sift you, to grow you, but the devil at the same time, understand me, the devil at the same time takes that opportunity for you to be offended, to take offense, to become angry, and to blame people, God, or different things. Joseph could have gotten even several times with his brothers, but he chose not to. Why? It was God who sent him to Egypt and not them. Even though they were used as tools to get him to Egypt, it was God that had a plan. It was God that was working back of house. It was God that was working behind the scenes, and Joseph didn't know what God was doing at the time. He had no clue that God was going to use him to save the nation of Israel. He had no clue because all of a sudden now, two years into the famine, and there's no food for Jacob and his family. There's no food. There's nothing to eat in the land, and they are vanished. And so they hear about the abundance of grain in, in, in Egypt, and so they go into Egypt to buy grain. Jacob sends them, and there Joseph sees his brothers. What a time. Boy, I tell you what. Joseph, what an opportunity to get even. What an opportunity to get back. But Joseph chose not to. And let me show you why. In Genesis 45, verse 5 through 8, And now do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. You see, Joseph recognized that God used the evil of his brothers 
to bring him where God could use him and deliver him, use him to deliver the nation of Israel. And I'm telling you, the things that we're seeing in the land today, the things that we're seeing in our community and all across this nation and it's happening across the world, we can ask the questions, God, where are you at? You know, I, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to speak this, and I want you to hear me with clarity. You and I that are Christians are not exempt from getting sick. We're not. We can do all the right things. We can wash our hands. We can wear the mask. And listen, don't take the mask off. I, I, I hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. If you feel like you need to wear a mask, wear a mask. There's times I wear a mask. And some of you are required to wear a mask. There's no judgment here. Understand, there's no judgment whatsoever. But I'm saying you can do everything that you can do. You can wash your hands. You can wear the mask. And, and, and you can avoid crowds. You can do everything you can do. But that well, may not exempt you from getting sick. In fact, there's a couple that we know. And this is what they said. They got COVID. And this is what they said. We did everything they told us to do. We wore the mask. We washed our hands. We isolated ourselves, quarantined ourselves. We did everything that they told us to do. I mean, they were, they were uh, excuse the phrase, but they were clean freaks. And I don't mean that in a negative way. They, they, just, they, went, they went and they did exactly what they were told to do. And both of them came down with the COVID. What I'm saying is, just because you're a Christian doesn't exempt you from sickness or the things that happen in the world. Why? Because all of us are subject to the curse of sin. Our bodies. Our bodies are all subject to the curse of sin. God redeemed my spirit. God redeemed my soul. But I'm going to tell you, my body hasn't been redeemed yet. It has not been redeemed. Do I believe God can prevent me from getting sick? I absolutely do. I think that when you leave, you need to plead the blood of Jesus over you. You need to pray. And you need to do the things that they're telling you to do. But understand, you can do all the right things and still get sick. You can eat healthy. You can eat healthy and still become diseased. You can work out, you can have cardio, you can do all the right things and have a massive heart attack. Because your body is still under the curse of sin. Your spirit's been redeemed, your soul's been redeemed, but unfortunately my body hasn't been redeemed yet. And that will not take place until Jesus comes back. But when he comes back, I'm going to have a new body and I'm going to have a new life. Amen. Amen. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you know one thing that I believe God is wanting you and I to be the salt and the light of the world? That during this pandemic and everything that's going on and the unrest and all the stuff that's going on, God is wanting the Christians to portray a confidence and a peace and a joy in the midst of the storm. You see, that's what the world needs right now. They need someone to give them a hope. 
Someone that has confidence that God is still on his throne and God is still in charge. And even though Joseph went through all the things that he did, and they were terrible, he chose not to be offended. And he chose to forgive his brothers for what they did because he began to see the scheme, the the situation in the light of what God was doing for the world and for his people. You see, sometimes in life, God allows you to go through things, to be sifted, to grow you. Not because he's angry at you. Not because he's mad or casting judgment upon you. It might be because, God, I just want to build character. I want to build your life in such a way. I have a plan to make you a success. I have a plan to prosper you. And listen, that prosperity is not about money. It's not about money. I have a plan to prosper you. I have a plan to make you a success. I have a plan to give you a hope in a future. But in order to do that, I need to build you. I need to grow you. I need to do something in you so I can do something through you. And God was doing that with Joseph. And Joseph realized that and chose not to get offended. I want to close. I say that, but you know how my closings are. In Genesis, the 50th chapter, I want you to hear this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, talking about Jacob, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. That is, you are to say to Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servants and through and the, uh, the servants of the God your father. And when the mess, when their message came to him, uh, uh, excuse me, when we and they said we are your slaves. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, he, they said. But Joseph said to them, "Don't be afraid." Am I in the place of God? Now, listen to this. This is important. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish now what is being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. It was God that sent Joseph to Egypt. It was God that sent the famine in the land. And no no mortal man or devil, and I want you to hear that, can supersede the plan of God for your life. And if you and I can lay hold of this biblical truth, it will set you free. There is only one person that can get you out of the will of God, and that is you. Only you. Only you. If you have been to the cross and you have experienced God's grace and forgiveness, you are now to be the distributors of God's grace and forgiveness. And when you and I embrace the message of the cross, forgiven people forgive. You see, forgiveness is not just for us. 
as it is for the other person. And forgiveness releases the grip of the grudge. It breaks the chain of the past and allows you and I to move into the future. So how do we apply this forgiveness and this release? And I want to share one passage. It's found in Romans, in Romans the 12th chapter, verse 17, starting at verse 17. Notice what the apostle Paul wrote. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. I really want you to get this. Do not, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And listen, we're not saying that what they did wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. They hurt you. It was a big deal. What they did was evil. But there is a different way to release the grudge. He said, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now listen, it says live at peace. It didn't say live with partnership. Did you hear me? You do not have to be a doormat. You do not have to be a doormat. It didn't say live in a partnership. It says live at peace with everyone where it's possible with you. Live at peace. And then he says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, when you want to get even, when you want to get even and you want revenge, you are taking the place of God. You are taking the place. Only God has the authority to do that. God will avenge. God will repay. You, when you, when you want to get even and you try to repay evil for evil and, and you try to get back at the end, you, what you're doing, you're taking God's place. And God did not give you the authority to take his place. He, but he says, this is on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we overcome it? And I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's hard to forgive. It is hard. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. And it's hard to forgive. They did me unjustly. They may have. But I've discovered something. When it's hard for you and I to forgive, you need to go back to the cross. You need to go back to the foot of the cross. And you need to say, God, if I need to stay here, if I need to stay here at the foot of the cross, because right now it's not in my heart to forgive. Right now it's in my heart to avenge. Right now it's in my place I want to get even. Right now it's, it's in my place I want to take your spot, God, and I want to take care of business. I want to help you, God. Yeah, I want to help you. Just let me help you out, God. I'll help you out. And I tell you what. 
There was one time I was so angry. I was so angry. I was so mad at this guy. I, I, I was so angry because of what, he didn't do anything to me, but I, 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 had the, the, I had the effects of it. I went to pastor a church in Augusta, Georgia, and man, it was a nightmare. I'm just going to tell you, it was a nightmare. I got there, and I'm thinking, boy, what is going on? You know, what's, what's happening? I should have, you know, the overseer told me. The overseer, this is what the overseer told me. Randy, when you go there, pastor everyone. Duh. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. But I didn't know what had happened and what he had done, the foreign pastor. And so, boy, when I found out what happened, because I lived there for four months, and my wife said, it, there's no joy. Where's, there's no joy in pastoring. It was a nightmare. And I became so angry. Man, I hated the guy. I'll just be honest with you. I hated the guy. And God told me. God told, I love the way God works. God says, Randy, this is what I want you to do. God spoke to me. I mean, you know, I believe God speaks. But he spoke to me and he said, Randy, you got some hatred in your heart. And I said, no, don't. I told him, I argued with God. I said, no, I don't have any hatred for him. I don't have any hatred for him. Yeah, you do. I do not. I just don't like what he did. I'm just upset because of what he did, and I, I'm angry, but I, I don't hate him. And God said, yeah, you do. I said, no, I don't. Now, you may not talk to God like that, but I did. And God says, okay, then, I want you to bless him. I want you to pray a blessing over him. And I thought to myself, there ain't no way. There ain't no way. I don't want you to bless him. I want you to, I, no, I'm not going to pray a blessing over him. And God says, pray a blessing. And I said, God, I can't. He said, I told you. I told you you had anger. I told you you, you hated him. I said, oh, God, you're right. And I'll just be honest with you. I went and knelt down and I began to pray. And I'm telling you, right, I knelt down and prayed and got up, and I still didn't want to bless him. I just wasn't there. And what I'm saying is, I had to keep going back to the cross, and I had to stay on my knees, and I had to remember, and this is so important, I had to remember that Jesus Christ forgave me. And as Christ, you have forgiven him, uh, forgiven me. I choose to forgive him. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I began to say that, it wasn't a feeling. It wasn't a, wow, man, I just, he's completely forgiven, man. I, I, I want you to, you know, I, I pray the, the blessings of, no. But I kept saying it over and over, God, as you have forgiven me, I choose to forgive him. I choose to forgive him. And as I kept saying that and remembering that God chose, God didn't have to forgive me, but he chose to forgive me. He chose to redeem my life. He chose to go to the cross and sacrifice his life for my sin. He chose to do it. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it for me. And it was a choice that he made. And as I began to say that over and over, God, I choose to forgive him. I choose to forgive him as you chose to forgive me. 
And then all, not all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but all, it, it just began to flow. And all of a sudden, the hatred, the envy, and the anger began to be lifted. And I discovered that that man wasn't the one in prison. I was. And when I chose to forgive him because God chose to forgive me, God began to restore my joy and my life. We stayed at that church for five years. And I tell you what, they were four and a half good years <laughs> of my life. They were four and a half great years because it was after that that God not only healed me, but he healed the church. I mean, he healed that church. I mean, he did some marvelous, powerful things that I thought would have, I, I, that could have never happened. He healed that church, and that church began to grow. But it was God. It wasn't me. But God was trying to show me something, Randy. You got to understand that you can be offended, and you can hold on to the anger and the hurt, but it's going to zap your joy. It's going to take away your peace. And the favor and the blessings of God cannot flow through you until you learn to forgive. And when I learn to forgive, God did some great and powerful, powerful things. I'm just saying, when we apply this principle, Derek, where are you at? When we apply this principle of forgiveness, it's not always easy. I'm going to be honest. Some of you have been hurt to the core. Some of you out there that are listening have been hurt to the core. But when you begin to choose to forgive as Christ forgave you, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be something that just, bam, it happens overnight. But as you stay at the foot of the cross and as you begin to choose to forgive as Christ forgave you, God begins to release the grip of grudge that's holding you back from the blessings, from the joy, and from the peace that God wants to give you and your future. I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in the world. What if... What if we begin to apply this one principle to our lives and we begin to live it out daily? I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive as Christ has forgiven me. What would it change in my family? What would it change in my workplace? What would it change in my community? What would it change in our world? If we choose to follow that application, that principle that God laid out for you and I. Would you stand? I want us to sing this song. I want you to embrace God's forgiveness for you. And I want you to forgive because you have been forgiven. I want you not to take God's place, but I want you to let God avenge for you.
God, they're in your hand. They're in your hand. I forgive them. I release them. You take care of them. You let God avenge them. Let God take care of the one who wronged you. And you overcome evil with good. You serve them. You love them. I didn't say you had to partner with them. No, I'm not saying you, don't you be no doormat. Don't you, you don't have to partner with them. But you forgive them and you love them. But God avenge them. And you overcome the evil that's been done to you by doing good to them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for our hearts today. God, I want this to be a challenge for every person hearing me, seeing me today. God, that as you have forgiven us, that we choose to forgive one another. God, if there's one tonight, today, that doesn't know you as their Lord, as their Savior, that hasn't been forgiven of their sins, God, that they would recognize that you died on a cross for their sins. God, that you are willing to take their sins to the cross and you are willing to judge their sins on the cross. So, Lord, I pray that they'll receive you today, that they'll accept what you did on the cross and accept you as their Lord and Savior for the sins in their life and that God as you have forgiven us and as you forgive them that they too will forgive one another God I pray that you speak to us today if there's one person that comes into our mind if there's one person that you remind us of that has hurt us God that will choose to say this day I choose to release them I choose to forgive them In the name of Jesus, as you have forgiven me, I choose to forgive them. God, speak to our hearts today as we worship you, Lord. This altar is open. I'm not saying this to embarrass you, but I always like to give an invitation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, God wants to forgive you if you're willing to confess and receive Him. And maybe today... God, maybe bring someone to your mind that has hurt you. If God chooses to do that today, why don't you say it? Say it. God, I I, I didn't say feel it. I said say it, declare it, proclaim it. It's not a matter of feeling. You see, that feeling will come later. Right now, you just need to declare it. In the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive as you have forgiven me. Declare it. Declare it in the name of Jesus. If God speaks to you, this altar is open. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Let's worship as we sing this song. Thanks for listening to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. 
Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you.